Can anyone tell me what a proverb is? Who's going to be brave? Yeah. <laughs> Who's going to be brave? Anyone? I've got sweets. I've got like loads of sweets to give away. So, so anyone, it can be an adult who just wants sweets. So I will stick them on here. It is a chapter in the Bible. What do Proverbs teach us? Yes. Paul, you get a sweet. <laughs> um, so, Molly, you're right, you do get a sweet because it is a book in the Bible. There you go. See, we're going to be kind today, give out loads of sweets. If you can't actually do a talk well, you can give out sweets. That will always distract people. Okay, so Steve did a great job the other week. Uh, he introduced some of us to Proverbs. Uh, a proverb is a short, thought-provoking saying that conveys a world of truth. Um, they are not a set of rules which we must obey. So that's really helpful to uh, remember as we go through today. But an observation about how life works, not to be taken in isolation, but when we look at these themes, it gives us an idea about how God thinks and something we are meant to chew over and get to know. A biblical proverb is unique in that it acknowledges that the true wisdom comes from God. In Proverbs 1 verse 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Godly wisdom is part of the building blocks we aim to live by. What is the most powerful muscle in the body? Your heart. Your heart? Yeah, that's not a bad idea. Anything else? Anyone else? Got that, Aaron? Your brain. Nearly? Becca? Your tongue. Your tongue. You've seen my notes already. <laughs> okay, it could be your legs, it could be your arms. Okay, but um, the tongue is one of the most powerful things we have in our arsenal. Um, every word, go back to it. Um, words are powerful, and God spoke the world into existence. Every word he speaks is intentional, powerful, and accomplishes his purposes. As we look at Proverbs, we will look at how the tongue can be used to bring both life and death. If I'm truly honest, I think this is a really, really challenging subject, and probably not the best one for a, a children's fun-friendly preach. But I don't really feel like I'm quite qualified enough um, to do this. But in some strange way, I feel like I'm very qualified. Because I think I spend most of my life with my foot in my mouth due to making mistakes um, in this area. You see, I can exasperate my children, I can get angry and fly off the handle, I can cause harsh words, I can use harsh words causing hurt, I can pull people down, and I constantly need God's grace to cover over my mistakes. I'm pretty sure that if I gave that microphone to Aaron Becker or Sam or Rachel, they would give you a whole list of my mistakes. But thankfully, the Bible tells us in Psalm 139, verse 4, that before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. This gives me some hope that God is in control of the, that the God is in control of the universe and knows that at some point during my day, I'm going to make a mistake. And he's there to help me pick up the pieces. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, helpfully it tells us that we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. I am a work in progress, and I will get it wrong sometimes, or most of the time. So, if you're feeling brave, what I want you to do is stick your tongue out um, at the person next to you. Anyone feeling brave? Yeah, brilliant. So, a couple more questions. 
How long is the average tongue? What do you think? How long is the average tongue? Any guesses? Uh, young man at the back? <laughs> How long in centimeters, inches? What do we think? What do you reckon? Go on, Aaron. 20 centimeters. How many inches is that? That's massive. <laughs> what sort of tongue have you got? <laughs> um, it's about three inches long. How long do you think the longest tongue is? This is the man with the longest tongue. Oh, yeah, go on, Callum. Four centimeters. It's about just under four inches. Four inches long. Um, what animal do we think has the longest tongue? You're not allowed to answer this, any of you, because you've seen it. Uh, uh, yes. Oh, amazing. How did you know that? <laughs> yes. The anteater. The anteater has a tongue that's about two meters long. Yeah, that's huge. Um, although, my favorite was this. This bear, I think, is pretty much trying to do a good job at trying to beat the anteater. That looks like me after a 5K run. Yeah, that's how I look. Uh, yeah, <laughs> true. Um, so what does the tongue do? Your tongue moves food around your mouth, helps you chew and swallow. Um, it helps you make different sounds, um, helps you to speak and form words clearly. Unlike when we were doing the uh, thing, Sam, your tongue was not helping you at all. Um, your tongue helps you to keep your airway open, helps you to breathe properly. The tongue is an important indicator of our health and can provide us with clues about what's going on in our body. You see, the colors, textures, coating, and shape of our tongue um, shows us what's going on deep down inside us. Um, a pink tongue or a healthy tongue okay, is actually what we want, but we see other things. A red tongue may indicate the body is full of fever. A reddish purple tongue is a sign of inflammation. A pale pink tongue is a sign of vitamin deficiency. A thick coating may problem intestinal problems. A yellowish tongue shows infections. Did anyone find a gray or black tongue on the person next year? That would be something very, very wrong and you need to go see a GP very quickly. Um, the shape of the tongue also, if it's puffy, scalloped, it's got indented marks, it can show that it's not taking in nutrients properly. But a very thin tongue may indicate a sign of dehydration and you should have had more coffee before you started. Um, the tongue is a really, really good indicator of our health. And I want you to hold on to that as we look through Proverbs um, and some more of the passages in the Bible. Um, when we look through Proverbs, what I'm going to do is I'm not going to mention the verses or the numbers, but if you want those afterwards, uh, you can see me. Because actually, like Steve said, when we read through it, the flow of it, we get an idea about the theme that's coming through some of those scriptures. So, the mouth of the righteous flows with wisdom, but the perverted tongue will be cut out. The tongue of the righteous is a choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The one who guards his mouth preserves his life. The one who opens wide his lips comes to ruin. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, 
but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. Gracious words are like honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. The proud and arrogant person, the mocker is his name, behaves with insolent fury. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. There's some challenging verses in there, um, and I was sort of going to f- sort of focus down on a few others, a few of those. But as we look through Proverbs, we see a distinct link between the tongue, the mouth, and the heart. In 15 verse 2, it says, The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. 15 verse 7 says, The lips of the wise spreads knowledge, but the hearts of the fools are upright. 15 verse 28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. The verses we look at show that our tongues, or the words that are formed by our tongue, are maybe indicating our spiritual health. This is something that God does really well. He links physical things and spiritual things to help us to understand. If what is coming out of our mouths is not pleasing to him, it may be showing that our hearts are not in the right place. Matthew 15 verse 17 says, Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. In the book of James, we're told that all kind of animals are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I feel like we're going the wrong direction. We're not going into happy, are we here? We'll pull it back. God is very aware of our shortcomings. He knows we are prone to tell lies, to gossip, to corrupt others with our words, to curse others, to quarrel, to backstab, to use obscene words, the list goes on. These are a lot of the themes that run through Proverbs. Or sorry, there are a lot of themes that run through Proverbs, but I really wanted to focus on these two areas, that words we use can bring life to a situation or they can bring death. Like in Proverbs 12, verse 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. I've got those up. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. If we want to know how important the words are we use, we can listen to Jesus who says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your word you will be justified, and by your word you will be condemned. If it's okay, I want to share a little bit about me, because I feel that God has been continually walking through these passages with me. And to be fair, he has been since I asked God into my life many years ago, and I truly believe that God is wanting us to be different. Um, So I grew up in a very similar place to here in the Peak District, a small market town, um, I had a pretty normal upbringing, really, which is a bit different to most stories you hear nowadays. Um, I went to school, I went to college, 
I struggled through school and college because I had dyslexia. I didn't know that at the time. I didn't find out until I was later uh, going through university. But I really struggled at school. All I wanted to do was physical things. Um, I took up surfing when I was about 16. And pretty much I left home when I was 18 and moved to Cornwall to surf full time. That's all I ever wanted to do. And I spent the next six years of my life just surfing and climbing and having fun. Um, I wasn't a Christian. I was aware of church. I'd been dragged along a few times, you know, by my collar at Christmas, Easter, things like that. Um, some of my family were Christians, but it wasn't for me. Surfing for me was my life. It was everything. It was my idol. Um, it was my whole identity. Um, I would surf about eight to ten hours a day, um, given the chance. I trained as a lifeguard, taught surfing. I lived in hostels, I lived on people's sofas, I lived out my car. I spent a summer living in a caravan with no gas or electricity, drinking ravioli out of a tin. That's how I survived. Um, it wasn't glamorous in any way, shape or form. But over the years, nothing could get in the way of me and surfing. Not jobs, family or relationships. The culture I was around had no boundaries. It was the complete opposite to having self-control. I was out of control. How I became a Christian is a slightly long story, but in a few words, okay, um, words are really important in that story. Um, when I was in my teens, my sister, who was slightly annoying, used to go to church. She came up to me one day and said, Jesus loved me. Now that really didn't mean anything at the time, but at the time, same time she did that, she punched me in the stomach and said, the seed is sown, now you can never get away. <laughs> yeah. I was really annoyed with her because it re really got my go. It really annoyed me. Um, but many years later, after a very heavy night of drinking, I woke up in quite a mess. The only thing I could think about was those words ringing around my head that Jesus loved me. I was very aware of my sin and in that moment knew that I needed to repent or ask for forgiveness. And I asked Jesus into my life. You see, I'd been pushing completely the opposite way to God and running my own life. I thought I was in control. And then I had this life-changing encounter with a loving God who had pursued me, broke into my life, and over a period of the next three years turned my life completely upside down. I want to share three quick stories of that journey um, that God's taken me through in relation to how our tongue and our words bring life. So the first story, it's a little bit funny, but I, went, I was invited to a friend's house for Christmas dinner. Uh, I wasn't a Christian at the time, and I arrived at his house, knocked on the door. I was all dressed nicely to go in for Christmas dinner. He opened the door, stepped out of the door and closed the door behind him. I was like, oh, that's a bit odd. And he said, uh, he said look, Becky, who was his girlfriend at the time, he said, look, um, Becky's parents are here. Whatever you do, do not swear. <laughs> I was a little bit taken aback. Um, but I said to him, that's all right, I don't really swear. The reply was, out of the people I know, you have the worst mouth out of all of them. <laughs> and you need to watch how you talk. I was definitely a little bit shocked about this, but for me at that time, I wasn't aware, especially living around all of my non-Christian friends, 
that I had no reference points to anything I did because everyone around me did the same. I wasn't aware of the sin in my life. I had no self-control. And in a way, I didn't really care about my behavior and how it affected others. But once I got saved, I felt God challenged me over my lifestyle I was living and where I was living, and I moved away. I needed to leave that way of life so that God could start to do something in me. Sometime in the next year after I got saved, I went and spent two weeks in London with his same friend. He asked me to go and help do up his flat. So we spent two weeks um, decorating, stripping the house, doing some painting and everything. And then one day he said to me, he said, look, he said, I totally respect your faith. He said, I don't get it. He said, but I totally respect it. He said, something's happened to you. You're different. And in the last two weeks, he said, you haven't sworn once. And that was a massive sort of change for him in how I was living. For me, it was a realization that God had begun to change me. I hadn't been to an Alpha course. I hadn't been given a list of rules or regulations to like, how we're meant to live. But just inviting Jesus into my heart had started to reshape me. 2 Corinthians verse 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Also, it made me realize that how we act, what we say, has an impact on those around us. That words bring life. He wasn't impressed by my theological knowledge, because I had none. He was taken aback because through meeting Jesus, there was a change in how I used my tongue or the words that came out of my mouth. There was obviously a deeper change in my heart. Over the years, I've had the opportunity to talk to him more and more about my faith, which has led to him reaching out in times of trouble so I could pray for a situation that saw an amazing healing. I truly believe that God is working in his life, and one day we will see victory. So, story number two. Um, it was a short time after I asked God into my life. I was still struggling to break out of my old culture. I wasn't in a church. That took some time. I was working on a holiday park with a large group of friends, and we were all sat having coffee in our sort of garage where we used to work. It was a really fun environment. It was a really fun group of people. There was lots of uh, what we call workplace banter. We would describe this as good-humoured teasing. And we usually use this quite a lot in schools, sports clubs. You may sort of see it in workplaces. But I felt God gave me a picture. And it challenges me to today. That every time someone said something... It felt like I, could, I was watching an arrow fly across the room and hit the person in the chest. You see, at this time, I didn't really know God gave pictures and things like that, but I really sensed that this was something that I needed to learn. And every time that arrow hit, that person's head would drop. The words being spoken were wounding them. I watched as this just kept happening, and each time a head would drop, that person's demeanor would change and they looked wounded. This reminded me about what God said in Ephesians 6. In addition to all this, take up your shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. 
I was made aware at that in that moment that even friends who are just having fun teasing each other can still do damage with their words. Proverbs 12, verse 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What that old say, what's that old saying about you know, hurt people hurt people? It was like a continuous cycle. We thought we were having fun, but it wasn't. It was having a lasting impact on these people. We see this now with phone messages or text messages. How many times do you read a message and go, ooh, what's the tone of that? That joke's not very funny. Um, and actually we can misinterpret what's being said. Also on the internet, gets big views now where people do these comedy roasts where they put somebody up and they pull them down um, with lots of, uh, but it's all about bringing laughs. It's massively challenging because everything around us says it's acceptable. Lots of people banter, lots of friendship groups, work environments, Christian environments. It's said to be character building. But in this instance, I was very aware of the damage that words can do to others. Ephesians 5 verse 4 says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let me clarify something. That having fun is part of life. Having fun brings healing. I can tell you some stories on that. Having fun is really, really important of what we do. But actually, you know, when we use words in the wrong way, you know, it can bring death. Story number three. Um, you see, God did change me, but as we know, it's a continuous battle. Now, at a church weekend away, uh, my housemate um, was playing in an open mic night, and we were all having a bit of fun, you know, throwing some funny comments around. Um, now, I should say and emphasize that I am really, really good at this. I can be funny, like, quick. I, uh, like, Rachel used to tell me off all the time, because once I get going, I'm a nightmare. But the next morning, listening to the sermon that was given by our church leader, where he introduces to a character in Proverbs, in 21, verse 24, it says, Mocker is the name of the arrogant, haughty man who acts with arrogant pride. I sat there in the hall, having one of those moments where everything that was being said was directed at me. Not intentionally, but through God's grace and his Holy Spirit, he was putting his finger on an area of my life that needed to change. I was the mocker. I was arrogant. I was being superior. I was being proud. What I thought was funny was not. I was getting laughs at someone else's expense. At that time, I, was trying to, I wasn't trying to glorify God. I was trying in a very British way to elevate myself above others. Maybe it was out of some form of jealousy that I couldn't do what he was doing, but I was trying to draw attention to me. I'd spent my whole life doing this, being dyslexic. I used humour to distract uh, the attention off myself, what I couldn't do. Um, I continued to use it to increase my own self-esteem, and if people were laughing, I assumed they liked me. But it is not right if it's at the expense of others. My tongue, through my words, 
we're bringing death. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers. But those who delight in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night, that person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. I now see the contrast in those two characters, and I'm hoping that God continues to change me. But by putting off our old self, we are instructed to live differently, to act differently, to speak differently. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 11 says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. I believe that when Paul challenges Timothy in 1 Timothy 4 verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. He is setting an example for our community so that we as followers of Jesus can reflect something different in the world around us. In our schools, in our college, in our workplace, and at home, Remember, when we started this, we reminded ourselves that Proverbs was not a list of rules and we don't want to wind up with a list of do's and don'ts. But the scriptures really reflect the things that with Christ in us, we can change. Galatians 2 verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 4, verse 20, we are to be made new in the attitudes of our mind and to put on our new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Bringing Jesus into our heart will affect what comes out of our mouths from our tongue. This will help us to shape a culture in the church, in our families and around us, reflecting the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. More than ever, we need to be different to the world around us. Yes, we need to be in the world, but not of the world. Showing what it means to follow Jesus and reflecting his character through our words so that we see fruit, people coming to know Jesus. I believe that this summed up really well in John 15. Dave shared with us last week where it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I think that was reflected in the worship as well this morning. Without Jesus, we can do nothing. So to summarize, let us be wise and remain in Jesus and in him and him in us so that the power of our tongue brings life to those around us. Mm -hmm.